Praise be Jesus Christ. Slava Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Today is the beginning of meat fair. That doesn't mean a party. That means you're saying farewell to meat. So in the monastery, we do not eat meat from this point forward uh, until Easter. And, uh, but you, you should abstain at least Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But if you can keep more than that. Now, be careful that you get enough protein. But there's other sources of protein, like beans and uh, fish. You can eat fish as long as it doesn't have a backbone. So we usually have fish maybe on the weekend and maybe on Tuesday and Thursday, but never Monday, Wednesday, or Friday. Uh, you don't have to keep the monastic fast. You can keep the secular fast in the uh, parish church if you wish to but I encourage you to keep the fast as best you can now children they have to have the smaller meals or more frequent meals they do not fast but they can abstain so abstinence is the foods that are forbidden to eat and and fasting is a period you do without food. So as just an example, in the monastery, uh, we don't eat until, we don't eat from midnight till uh, noon. That's just a feast day or something. And uh, uh, there's no limitation what you eat after noon. That doesn't mean you have to starve yourself. You know, you can eat what you need, especially the growing boys and things like that. But we shouldn't be having snacks and things like that. We should try to keep the fast as best we can. And it doesn't hurt the church, or excuse me, it doesn't hurt the children to learn to fast. It's very good for them because they have to learn how to fast in other areas as they grow up. And they learn that by fasting in other areas like fast days, and that's they can use that transfer of training that they learn by abstinence and fasting when they're in serious uh, temptation. So they know how they deny themselves in those periods, and then they can learn to deny themselves when they're in serious temptation. Now, you, can't, you cannot yell at them about it. You, they have to learn that on their own. They can talk to their confessor or something like that who can teach them the basic ways to do that. We're trying to make just not good children or good adults. We're trying to make heroes for Christ. And my sermon today, that's just the announcements. So Melenten services will be Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And during uh, Lent, I'll have a few uh, classes for the children of our, the ones that come here, because I notice they ask questions and they don't necessarily understand exactly what's going on in church. 
So I will have uh, cor courses for them. I'll announce it like on Sunday, and maybe we'll meet. Uh, maybe I won't have uh, some day of the week I won't have a service. Like maybe I'll sketch a Monday or something like that. Now, Peace Sanctified Liturgy is in the afternoon in our monastery at 4.30. We will come into the temple for Peace Sanctified Liturgies if weather is permitted. If not, we'll just stay up in our little uh, temple. Okay, so you'll know that. And you should try to bring your family at least to uh, one or two pre-sanctified liturgies, maybe one a week. You don't have to go to all of them. Uh, but it's hard because it's 4.30 in the afternoon. Dad's not home for work or whatever like that. Uh, but uh, we'll see how that goes so we can always switch that around a bit. The pre-sanctified liturgy is a vesper service. And of course, during the days of Lent, we do not celebrate the Eucharist. And on those days, we receive communion in the evening at Vespers. That's why it's called pre-sanctified. That's what it means. We don't have like daily Eucharist. Why? Daily Eucharist is a resurrectional service. That's the emphasis in our, our Eastern Church. In the Western Church, the emphasis is on the cross. So if you go to Western Church and you see this big cross standing there behind the altar and in their Eucharist they, they emphasize the, the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. We emphasize the saving blood and the, uh, of the Christ by dying on the cross, his salvific work. So it's a very different theological meditation from two different sides, from the east, one from the east, and one from the west. The west, east and the west also had that same meditation until about the 8th century. And that's when the east and west started to fall apart and communications got rough. But anyway, I'm just telling you that for your own, because you'll say, we go to Western Church, they do this. We do not have stations of the cross. Uh, that's the emphasis on the cross, and St. Francis uh, put them in place, and we never had them in the Eastern Church. They were, were too ancient. We're, we're still the apostolic church. So, But it doesn't hurt if you want to go to uh, Stations of the Cross. It does, it's a, a meditation on the sufferings of Christ, and Western churches have that. Um, we do not do that. Well, when do we have the Adoration of people in the West have adoration all the time. It's a sacrament. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But we usually have adoration at pre-sanctified liturgy when the priest uh, carries the Blessed Sacrament around the church and you lay down and then he gives you communion. It's part of the communion service. So uh, we can talk about those things if you have questions. But I definitely will have some catechetical instruction for the children if I don't get sick or something, nobody's sick in the monastery. A few evenings, if that's good, parents have to let me know, a few evenings during Great Lent so they can, I'm going to explain the structure of the liturgy, where it came from, 
why we do what we do and what it means. And uh, and I'll go through. I'll even read a few of the prayers that you don't always hear. But uh, you don't hear the priest's secret prayers. And they're not a secret because you can't hear them. They're because they're for the priest himself. Those prayers. You know. So in the liturgy, the liturgy has particular parts in the West. So we had a deacon. The deacon would lead the people. And then we had the priest. It's his job to perfect the Eucharist and say the prayers. And we have servers. They're serving. They're actually supposed to be subdeacons. And we have all these things. But we can learn them gradually. Why do we have to learn this? So we can understand betterly our Catholic faith and why we worship in church, why we're doing it. Now to the now to the sermon. This is just the announcements. What you do unto the least of my brethren, you do unto me. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, every human being is our brother or sister. And we have an obligation towards them. And we're shy about it. If we can, we have to witness especially to the truths of the gospel and bring them to the fullness of the faith in the Catholic Church. We do not believe just any church is good. Christ founded one church, the Catholic Church, and there are very different, there are very expressions of it. There are very, as we say in the our communion, we are various rites. The rites are the way you celebrate liturgy and things like that. There's much more to it than that. We also have our own history, our own spirituality, and our own way to pray. So I remember when I was a seminary, I went to a Western seminary. I used to do a lot of poplunis, and they would look at me. I wanted to know what I was doing. Well, that was the way we pray, especially during Lent. They don't have poconies. We were taught to pray with our whole body. So we have all sorts of signs of the cross, poconies, bows, laying down. We pray with our whole heart, our whole soul, and our whole mind. That's why we must live an ascetic life. But if we do all those things perfectly and we're mean to our brother, or our sister, our mother, our father, or our neighbor, we, we don't, we don't, we're not really being good Christians. But above all, Jesus taught us to live an ascetical life. That means we keep the the angelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience, and the Beatitudes, and the Ten Commandments. So he didn't just come down and do his wonderful work amongst us and leave us like orphans that we don't know how to live a Christian life. But somehow, all of us, me too, we make exceptions for ourselves. Well, Lent is the time, great Lent, we say, the time to get rid of the exceptions and really discipline yourself. 
So at least 10% of the year, you are really living a devout and Christian life. Well, I just think when people tell me all the time, I remember when I would meet people, because I've been a lot of places, I've been in military and so forth, places, and meet different people. And you have to get along with people. You don't say, well, you know, you know, we don't beat them up because they don't believe what we believe. So we can try to influence them. The best way you can influence them is by your personal sanctity. And by the way, you observe the church, like our Byzantine church, you observe the, the way of living in that church. So some people, I don't know who they are, it's learned where they, 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 they don't come to services or not. Which is pretty sanctified liturgy is pretty, pretty important. Some people, they don't make a good confession in Lent. Uh, some people do not keep the fast because they say they can't. Some people eat snacks during Lent. I don't mind snacks too much because, you know, little, the little people need snacks. You can't make them fast like the adults and they need morning food. And, but we don't need all that. What are we fasting for? Reformation of our lives and more openness to the God, grace of God. And he dwells in us by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But we ignore him. We don't talk to him. We don't sit down and be with him. And he's praying inside of us. And you were confirmed. Why were you confirmed or chrismated through Eastern, our church? Well, to give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, what are these gifts for? The greatest gifts are charism. We have lots of them. We have the priest, the deacon, the bishop. We have the monks. They're, they're all living out their charism. They have mothers and fathers. They are living out their charism, and they're trying to train their children, their beloved, miserable children, who would better disobey than obey. Well, you were the same way when you were young, too. So don't you pick on them. Just try to teach them to do better. Pray with them. Bring them to be sanctified. Try to understand be sanctified. I will explain it sooner or later. And so you can understand. It's a Vesper service. And we have communion because we don't have the liturgy on those days. But we still have communion. In the early church... I read St. Clement, the father of the church of Alexandria. In one of his uh, talks, he talks about people bringing the holy gifts home, the Eucharist, and having received communion during the week. And he says, be careful with it. Keep it in a, a safe place and don't let any uh, animals get to it or anything like that. But they did do that in the early church. So in the monastery, we don't have liturgy every day. Certain days are all liturgical, and others that maybe the priests don't feel well, or somebody has to go somewhere and we don't have time. But every day we have the Eucharist, we go to the Holy Communion, like the early church. Is not Holy Communion our daily bread? I know that's not possible for everybody, 
that we should frequent communion as much as possible, especially on Sunday. And Sunday has to be a special day of rest, prayer, and family, and church. Somehow they got this reason or notion that obligation, Sunday obligation, is where you just go, uh, the Romans say, you go to Mass. Then that's not enough. I wasn't raised that way, by the way. So every Saturday we went to confession, whether we liked it or not. We took a bath. We came home and sat quietly, getting ready for Sunday. And maybe in the evening we might, when they had television finally, we might watch something with the family. And there was no if, and, or but either. That's what the family did. And most of us, I pray God, are in the heavenly kingdom. Who do I live my life for? Myself? No. You live your life for Jesus Christ and his Father. Why did God make me? To know, love him, and serve him, be with, happy with him in this world and the next. But Father, it's hard to, you say, Father, well, it's hard to do, be good all the time. I know that. But the gift for being good all the time is wonderful. It's to eternal life. It's not a party, but the heavenly party is going to be great, I assure you. It's the Eucharist, where you say, Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, divinity. Early Christians did that every Sunday. We've grown too far away from our apostolic roots. There are people call themselves Christians. They never have the Eucharist, or once in a while. And they don't, and they've got to remember, in the Eucharist is Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, the divinity. But you have to have a priesthood. You have to have priests who are in apostolic succession with the apostles. I'm a successor to the apostles. By hand, the laying on the hands of the bishop. And to make sure he was an apostle, three bishops laid their hands on him. Make sure it's going down. What's the obligation? Obligation is to bring the Eucharist to the people. So Bishop Dino, when he came out with cousins, and I believe strongly in celibacy. But of course, I was raised with married priests and all that too. But I think if you're married, your first obligation is to the family. If you're a married priest, well, then the church is sort of secondary, huh? But there have been good married priests, and you know, we're not going to go into that. So he says to me, I didn't know I had such power. But he says to me, Father Joseph, we're going, we're in the car, we're coming from the airport, or going to the airport, taking him somewhere. And uh, he says to me, you're not going to fight me on this, that I'm going to go to Rome and we're going to get up, try to get our married priest back. I said, Bishop, I will never fight you on anything. But I said, I believe in the celibate priesthood because it's more like Jesus Christ. 
and we're supposed to be another Christ than we're a priest. So we saw that was solved. So time came. He'd been in the diocese a while, and we were short priests. Now, if you're short priests, you're short the Eucharist. Only the priest or the bishop, the bishops, are the the high priest, right? He he, they're the ones that perfect the Eucharist. They can take the bread and wine and turn it into the body and blood of Christ. I do it all the time, but I don't do it. The Holy Spirit really does it. I just call on him to come. So later on, I read an article that the bishop wrote about the Mary priesthood, and I understood him a little better. He says, I have a greater obligation to the people to make sure they receive the Eucharist. And it may take a married priesthood to do that. There may not be enough celibate priests. That's one way to look at it. We are Eucharistic people. Now, what greater gift can we do to our neighbor than bring them to the Eucharist if we can convert them? We have lots of people in our families. I've baptized people in this church. They never never come here. I poured the wine and oil, and I poured the water and oil, uh, hoping that they would, but they're not here. Hopefully, they're in some Catholic church somewhere. They're starving. They're starving outside their father's house because they're not receiving the Holy Eucharist. They're not being fed with the bread from heaven. Their souls are crinkled up, probably falling down into the corner of their big toe or something. Their souls are starving. So if I come over, I say to you, well, it's going to be Lent now, so you will not eat for 40 days. You say, Father, we can't live without food. Oh, a lot of people live without the Eucharist. They're living without the most important food. And they don't even know it, the dummies. So how are we taking care of our neighbor? People don't even like Catholics. I know that. I don't care. We're the Church of Christ is founded. I like the Orthodox. They're okay. They have priesthood, they have the Eucharist, and we have a split between us. It's got to be healed. We are the same people. This came from the same early church. We believe the same things. Politics, kings, battles, decrees of popes, all sorts of things that split us up. The greatest scandal I, I never knew much to about about the Reformation, but I, we, they, they told it about it. We studied seminaries. More or less, we studied it on the basis of doctrines and things like that, but there's a lot more to know. The great religious wars were in Northern Europe, not in Eastern Europe, not even in Southern Europe. And they fought over doctrinal things, and then they grabbed each other's property They were thieves. They're considered holy Christians. 
So if you read, if you hear Catholic history, they're, they're gentle, what they tell you. But what did they do first? They destroyed the monasteries. They didn't want all those people praying all over. They wanted their land. And in England, especially when they closed the monasteries, a lot of people were out of work because the monks had a lot of people working for them. Great damage is done in the name of religion. People are hurt because we're not all good neighbors. We have to be good neighbors. I don't know how we're going to heal this fissure. I know that the, uh, the um, Patriarch of Constantinople and uh, the Pope, they went to school together, so they're pretty good friends. Guess where he studied? In Rome, of course. Many Orthodox clergymen are sent to Rome to study. It's a good thing. It's a dialogue. And what we're trying to achieve through this ecumenical dialogue is the union of the church that all people can receive the Eucharist. That we can stand at each other's altars and not be separated. Receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ, soul and divinity. Then we'll be a whole healthy church. Not fighting about all this stuff. So yesterday I called Ukraine last night. She, uh, we got some packages from the Ukraine of, for in the Western Church. Uh, they want to give them the extension of the cross, which they use in Lent. So I, Oleg painted them, and I got them over here. I have them in the house, but I got to get them to that church. And uh, I'm worried about him because the Russians are on the border, eastern, northeastern border of the Ukraine with tanks and everything. First of all, be, don't be stupid. It's not Russia. It's the Russian Federation. Use the proper language. Secondly, why shouldn't they do that? The United States has troops in Poland, troops in Romania, troops in uh, Italy, all over the place, surrounding the Russian Federation. Should they not try to protect themselves? Why should we be doing this with our neighbor? So the present administration, I don't want to talk about them, but all these, they, these Democrats, they always get us into a war. A lot of people make money from war. They sell arms and everything. But thousands of people die. We should not make war. We should defend our country. I'm a retired colonel. I know that. But we should not make war with our neighbor. And if we threaten him, of course he's going to try to defend himself. So every day now, I, I, I called the Ukraine last night. And they're, they're, they don't know what's going to happen. So they all have their little Ukrainian flags flying out of their house. And they're being told, well, maybe uh, uh, they're going to invade tomorrow. 
the United States president, oh, they're going to invade tomorrow. Our president gets up and says, says these things. What's he want to do, set the world on fire? Is he talking to his neighbor to not go to war? Kill innocent people like you and I? To be a good neighbor is not an easy job. Sometimes you have to give another person the benefit of a doubt. You don't think they're so good, but maybe they are good. Every candidate that comes to the monastery to become a monk, we give them the benefit of the doubt that their vocation will mature, that they're studying, that, they, that we can love them, and they will learn to love us because we are a family. We should give our neighbor a benefit of the doubt. I think I've done a couple things in my life, I'll confess to you, that have always bothered me. I went to the movies on a Saturday night when I was in Yonk as a teenager. If I was good, I got a quarter. A quarter, in those days, you could go to the movie and even get some box of popcorn. If I had been a behave, if I had behaved myself, I might get that treat. And uh, to go along with the story, I was out one Saturday night. I had to be home no later than ten o'clock. And when I got there, they were setting waiting there for me. Then I had to go to bed, say my prayers, and go to bed. They watched over me very carefully. Thank God. What a wonderful upbringing. So anyway, I was running up the hill. I had to get there by the three hills. I was young then. I could run up the hill. <laughs> now I can hardly walk because my back's out. But anyway, <laughs> I can remember running over those hills. And there was a man laying in the gutter. I, was, I said, what should I do? I thought to myself, maybe a car will hit him and kill him laying in the gutter. He was certainly drunk or sick, something. I shouldn't have, but I was afraid. Because if I woke him up or something, maybe he'd beat me up or something. So I went home. That has haunted me all my life. I did the wrong thing. I should have helped him up and try to get him awake or getting home or whatever we could do. Our neighbor, he was my neighbor, and I didn't do what I should have done. It's easy enough to take care of your neighbor when he's far away. When he's right on your doorstep, it's a little difficult, especially if you're frightened of him or he's dangerous or he's a drunk or he's a bum or whatever. But in his heart, he was a child of God. As bad as he may be, he was a child of God. And I remember, for you children, every Sunday afternoon when I was a deacon, not every, but almost, I would go down to the children's hospital and I'd bring them Holy Communion. And this little boy, about eight years old, he was in bed, and uh, he was dying. 
it's hard when you're young to be around dying people. It's more hard to see young people die. But I wasn't there to worry about that. But he could see, looking at me, he could see, and one of my brothers, and the other deacon, that we were frightened. But you don't know what they're dying of. They're going all over this hospital. And he said, this little eight-year-old boy, he says, he didn't know we were deacons. He thought we were priests. He said, fathers, I know I'm dying. And he says, but you know, I'm going to be home with Jesus. Faith like a mountain. You hate the eight-year-old boy. What a lesson for my neighbor. So I gave him communion. We gave him communion. And we walked out of there with our heads hanging low because we didn't have that faith. Our neighbor, if we give him a chance, can teach you many things. And maybe if you witness with your holy Catholic faith to him, you can save his soul. But your neighbor always needs your love. And he may be an old grouchy person. He needs your love. When we, <laughs> we lived in the country, greater country than this, because this country here is sort of submarginal farmland. It's not good farmland, but it's good for a monastery. But anyway, and parties, you know, skiing and all that. But anyway, um, we used to go out. There were fields around us. There were... Uh, Watermelon, beautiful cherry trees, all sorts of stuff. So we kids, you know, we'd playing together. We'd go sit down in a watermelon patch, and we'd get a watermelon and we'd eat it. We didn't ask anybody for that. We didn't get permission. And the farmer would come along, and he didn't even say a word to us. And my dad used to say to me, you know, the first three rows of corn in the field are for our neighbor. We steal. He's not stealing. Maybe he's hungry. My dad didn't mean that. I remember when there's a big tree, big cherry trees. We climb them and then get up there. We couldn't get down too quick. And eat those big, luscious bean, bean cherries. The farmer came out and he saw us up in the tree. <coughs> he says, now look, you can eat the cherries, but don't fall. I don't want you to break a leg. He didn't care about the cherries. He loved us more. Dear brothers and sisters, you'll love your neighbor more when they're in need. Because you can treat them as though they were Christ. You can give them a glass of water. Sometimes in the monastery, I test the monks. I ask for a glass of water or a cup of tea. And they bring it to me. I could get up and get a glass of water. I'm testing them. 
and should bring me the water as though I were Jesus Christ there. I know you're busy, lots of things going on in the family, but when there's a need, mothers and dads are pretty good about this. But when there's a need, your neighbor's in need, just like he was Jesus Christ, bring him a glass of water. He'll be rewarded in heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.